0: Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode I speak to comic book writer and brilliant bloke Baden Maloney about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. Comic Scene is an award-winning magazine that's available digitally and in print in selected comic shops and newsagents in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada and the good old USA. With a Harley Quinn front cover, issue 12 is available in shops and online right now. Inside, inside that is, uh, you'll find a beginner's guide to Harley's history, a look back at classic 70s UK comics, an interview with Pat Mills about the spring launch of Action 2020 and much, much more. If that tickles your fancy, digital and print subscriptions are available from £2.50 at getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene or you can simply order it from any newsagent in the UK or Ireland. Also be sure to check out their website, comicscene.org, for more news, details and other fun stuff. Now without further ado, on with the show. Hello Baden Maloney, how's it going? Hi Sam, how are you? Yeah, I'm well thanks. Um, it's uh, It's been just a, a standard Monday really for me. Lots of lots of emails, kind of recovering from a bad night's sleep from the toddler. And uh, yeah, just getting on with it really. How
1: about yourself? Yeah, not too bad things. Thanks. No toddler here. So twenty-one and seventeen-year-olds, but they still give me sleepless nights sometimes <laughs> but for very different reasons.
0: <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? It never stops. So yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for uh, for being on comics for the apocalypse today. It's a real pleasure.
1: No, thank you for inviting me. Much an-
0: appreciate it. Oh, it's it's an absolute pleasure. Um, and for for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet, uh, what do you do in the world of comics?
1: I am a writer, editor, and publisher. So I've written for five or six independent UK-based comic publishers, and then I set up Eight Continent Publishing to run alongside the work I was doing for Berserker Comics to give myself a little bit more creative control. So I've released uh, Edge of Extinction, uh, Rejected is on the go now. Uh, I've got Shunned, and I've got some other books. On the horizon, primarily working with 2080 artists. I guess that's the slight change to me for being an indie comic writer.
0: Nice. Um, and you're also involved in the 77?
1: I am indeed. Yeah, I've got a short three-page horror story in there called Angel with uh, 2080 Steve Austin on art, um, which is um, without giving anything away, it's, it's a lovely little, lovely little piece, and Steve's done a cracking job on the art. It's brilliant
0: nice uh, and for anybody that hasn't come across the 77 um it's uh it's uh, an anthology that's currently on kickstarter so if you just kind of go to kickstarter search the 77 the number and um, you can you can check that out right there you Excellent. can
1: indeed yeah and it's met its funding target already which is brilliant
0: yeah it's epic i am done really well um fantastic um and uh where can people find you on the internet
1: Uh, I'm on Twitter, I've got a Facebook profile, uh, www.edgeofextinction.co.uk as well, Um, there's an 8th Continent Publishing Facebook page, an Edge of Extinction group, Uh, there's a rejected page as well, so I'm sort of all over the place, there is an Instagram thing but I don't use that as often, (laughs) Um, it's a bit difficult, what do do I post as a writer, it's very artistic Instagram isn't it? It is, it's difficult. Yeah. I just feel that you know, I'll post pictures of other people's work and then you know, occasionally I'll put a, a typed word yeah. in, but that doesn't seem to get the likes.
0: <laughs> not quite <laughs> as much, is it? Not quite no. as much as, uh, as art. Definitely um, not but uh yeah uh, all those links are in the show notes so people can just click through straight there um and uh, and check out your work uh, now i do have some bad news for you uh, and that is unfortunately there's been a zombie outbreak um and and specifically um it's it started in Luton Oh unfortunately, <laughs> like all good zombie outbreaks, do yeah. um, and uh, yeah, um, it's, it's starting to make its way across the country. So, my my question for you is, what is your action plan for survival?
1: Well, um, that's just down the A6, unfortunately. So, <laughs> um, plan for survival, <laughs> yeah, I, know, I was just, you know, that's 20 miles away. Spread of infection rate, mm. what do I do next? Yeah, I mean, I think. Obviously, right in Edge of Extinction, um, I'm not saying it's going to give me any real-time experience of this, um, but one thing I have learned is that I think you've got to keep moving. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of this whole follow government advice, lock yourself in your house with a, a can of tuna, a yeah. uh, selection of bourbons and a cup of tea and get a kettle on and sing hymns to each other all day. It doesn't seem to work for me. <laughs> um, so, interestingly enough, Edge of Extinction is set in Bedford, so literally up the road perfect (laughs) and when i was writing it i was living in a two-bedroom ground floor flat and one of the concepts behind it was to actually try and make it a real time comic so that people were actually facing these decisions Mm. as a a, a straightforward in their face as as opposed to the more americanized version of Uncle Jake's got a gun shop and I just happen to have his keys because I've been babysitting and that sort of nonsense. Right. Um, so I think in terms of staying staying alive, you've got to grab as much as you need as quickly as possible and um, try and make your place of, of dwelling uh, zombie-proof initially. And, and if that's too too difficult because of the nature of what you live in, then you've got to pack your bags and you've got to get going. Um so from my perspective, uh, my ground floor flat would have been pretty useless. There were too many windows. <laughs> um, so I would have packed everything up, shinned over the wall. Into a, There's a company called Silex at the back, and they had a six-foot wall and a barbed wire entrance around all of their site, and it was completely self-contained. So that would do for a start. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I'd take it from there.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And I assume your family will be going with you.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There'd probably be some disbelief about what was happening quite clearly. Um, But yes, they would be going. And the the issue, you know, again, where do you go? uh, I guess is the question, because if I'm heading north, I'd be going up the A1, that would be chocker. The M1 would be chocker. So you'd have to go cross country anyway. And then you've got that whole concept of actually when it happens and when it hits Bedford, where are the family, So you've got to try and incorporate that into whatever plan you may or may not have. So it gets more complicated by the millisecond, doesn't it, really? It really
0: does. Um, but uh, thankfully, you managed to, to, to gather the family together and, and hunker down. And what, what was the company that you? it was called?
1: Oh, initially, it's Silex. I don't even know what they do, but it was always there. And I thought, that's self-contained. Yeah. Um, and they had a barbed wire fence around it and I thought to myself, they must have a vending machine in there and toilets and at least that, possibly a staff so That's a good enough place to start. And in the back of that, it goes onto uh, Bedford Borough Council's aggregates yard. So the fence there is 20 foot high um, and there's a selection of outbuildings, lorries, vans and everything else you can get your hands on. So that would be the plan B escape route. So if I needed to go, we'd have a massive vehicle. And we could chuck grit on all the roads as well, which might be useful.
0: Oh, definitely. Totally know, it, might make
1: them, it might make zombies fall over. It might make them unstable, you know, I don't
0: know. I reckon. It's a useful thing to have. Um, definitely. And the, and the vans
1: would be loaded up high, so you actually you wouldn't be able to open the doors as easily if you were in a normal car.
0: Exactly.
1: That's see if they've got that capacity, depending on what type of zombie we're talking about, of course. but. That all depends on the writer, doesn't it?
0: It does, it does. Um, but uh, you do man- manage to hunker down with the family um, and uh, you start to kind of reminisce on on life in general and the, and the subject of comics comes up and, and the question that pop- first pops up is what is the first comic you remember enjoying?
1: Well, the first one for me would have been Commando Books. Um, as a kid, um, my parents moved to from Gloucester in 68 and um, we used to visit my grandparents and great grandparents quite regularly and my grandfather and my great-grandmother oddly enough both collected commando books with the odd sort of wall picture library battle picture library and there was a western version of a comic that was the same size but I can't remember what that one was called Um, and it was commandos that grabbed my attention so I'd go and see my granddad he'd give them to me and I'd bring a pile home and my grandmother, great grandmother, sorry, do the same. So I I'd, don't I'd see them and I'd probably come home with 10, 15, 20 Commando books each time. Um, and I stayed, I'd bought those religiously for years, Commando. Um, and again, recently subscribed to them again. Um, so I've actually restarted buying them, much to the, the horror of my wife who doesn't <laughs> like the clutter, doesn't like comics. Um, but yeah, Commando books first of all. Um, that's where I started, I think. And um, yeah, there's an element of nostalgia to it for me as well, I guess. But uh, I think they're still pretty decent.
0: Definitely. Um, and uh, obviously, that probably gave you a good grounding in in what kind of comics are and and kind of uh, the the history that they've got. Um, but uh, did you kind of see? see that they were created by other people and it was possible for you to
1: create them yourself or um, no, no initially not at all actually yeah. it's, it's quite strange I didn't really think about doing anything like that when I was younger I don't know why um, it, it was just get a job you know do well at school get a job go to university if possible all those sorts of elements were what was drummed into me Um, My parents didn't leave school with any qualifications So that whole element of getting one up on them almost And not struggling while they did Was something that was reinforced, reinforced So the the creative route sort of bypassed me Until um, I was a bit older, to be honest Mm. Whilst I understood that these were created by people I didn't really quite understand how you could do that yourself So it was something that was missed um, many years ago, and something that I started later on in life. So, Great.
0: Um, And when was that? Sorry, if I don't mind asking.
1: Uh, well, I started. I started writing. I guess when I, I did a little bit of writing when I was at school, like I mm. had some stuff in poetry books and stuff that were published nationally, and I won a, comp- to a couple of competitions um, and things like that. Um, but again, it never really sort of kicked into anything I thought I could do. And then at university, I did a one film script that got optioned by Parallel Pictures that were part of the Palace Pictures group. And they basically paid a retainer for it whilst I was at uni. And I never finished it, but it, that's quite nice. But again, I never even took that as an incentive. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the late 2000s that I started to really think about, actually, you know what, I could maybe have a go at this. And I started to uh, meet comic professionals in sort of 2004 onwards and started chatting to some people about, you know, well, actually, I could have a go at this. And certain individuals basically said, them, well, why don't you have a go? And I went, oh, is that how it works? And they were <laughs> like, well, yeah, get on with it. So I, so I just started writing stuff, and it sort of came slowly from there. So um, Liam Sharp and his wife, Christina, um, were two of the main... People who bear the responsibility of getting me writing comics. To be honest with you, because <laughs> <laughs> um, they're quite good friends, and there's other people involved as well. So, um, but again, it's just something that I, I fit in around other stuff as well, day job and all that. Lot. So, uh, it's uh, something I'd like to do more of. But,
0: uh, so it's, it's it's a balancing act, isn't it? Definitely. Um, kind of trying to get everything sorted that needs to be done. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the the dream would be kind of, yeah, full-time, 100% comic book writing, wouldn't
1: it? <laughs> well, it would be nice, or all, all full-time writer. No, don't, no, I don't mind. I've, I've got a novel sort of on the go, and right. I don't really mind. I like to jump from medium to medium, to be honest. Yes. Yeah. Um, nice. That would be cool. But, yeah, earning earning a, a decent enough weight so I didn't have to do anything else per year would be, be a, a quite a nice mindset and a quite a nice position to be in, definitely. I would have no complaints for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, now, the next question that, that crops up um, is what's the funniest or the comic that made you laugh out loud the most?
1: Do you know what? This is, a really, this is really difficult for me because of the nature of how I got reading comics. I never read the funniest, ever. Mm-hmm. So I've never read the, you know, and I know this might sound like absolute horror to other comic fans, and I do apologise, mm-hmm. but I went straight into not adult comics, but war comics and that sort of stuff. So... For me, a lot of the humour element in comics has, has come from 2000 AD and primarily um, the work of people like John Wagner, especially on Judge Dredd. Um, the way he's managed to parody and even foretell life in modern-day America now mm. from 1977 is quite uncanny. So things like The League of Fatties and The Belly Wheel and Citizen Snork with his massive nose and mm-hmm. um, Davey Orangutan as mayor, Pug Ugly in the Bugglies. Or all of these things uh, are just, just wonderful pastiches of of where America seems to be now. And that's quite terrifying in some respects. He must have a crystal ball or something, John Wagner. Mm-hmm. So it's elements of humour like that. Stuff like The Iron Crinch, which were far more sort of humour-based comics anyway from 2008. I mean, I love The Iron Cranch, Alan Moore and John Dyne, Alan Davis on not. That's all brilliant as well. Uh, I think that's where the humour element for me comes from. It is a
0: satirical element of uh, 2000, and a- 2000 AD. Definitely, definitely. Fantastic, great. Um, but yeah, um, that's that's something that I really need to kind of get more into is 2000 AD because my kind of, um, and regular listeners would know this, my kind of inception into comics was, was fairly recently, kind of uh-huh. the past five years, Um really and it's it's mostly <clears throat> kind of uh indie indie comics yeah um that that got me going and that, that i've mostly read but um yeah getting more and more into 2000 ad um is, is something that's on my on my list of uh of things that i need to do uh in order to really kind of get a grasp of where comics have come from and kind of where they're going as well
1: yeah definitely and i think um you know rebellion owned 2000 ad getting hold of so much back catalogue um which they're releasing under the treasury of british comics label as well so stuff from battle eagle scream um and various other old valiant and other things they've got the rights to so i mean they're churning out some stuff which is which goes back to the 1950s 1960s so it's, Pre-me and reading comics as well, and some of it's absolutely superb stuff like Leopard on Lime Lime Street, which essentially is an English version of Spider-Man. Just insert a radioactive leopard in a zoo, of
0: course, and and it's
1: a small kid on a street, so you know beating up burglars and that sort of stuff. But it's a great, great read. I absolutely love it, and I never read that as a child. And it's got Mm -hmm. art by Mike Weston and Eric Bradbury, amongst others. I think Tom Tully wrote it. Bless him. Um, so all of that sort of stuff is out there which is really really good for for anybody to get uh, a sort of standing point from, from British comics because there is so much stuff out there uh, the indie scene today as well is, is just a wash with talent to be quite honest with you as well there's a lot of good writers and artists out there doing stuff across the UK for indie comics at the moment you know and um, you've only got to look at the success of stuff like the 77 Kickstarter campaign and You know, people like uh, Chris Ascombe and John Leight and Jay Martin and all these people. There's people out there writing some very good stuff, so fair play to them as well. In fact, to be honest with you, you could read comics, British comics, full time. as a job if somebody could you to do it. There's so much good stuff out there.
0: Yeah, oh, uh, I'll definitely send my application in for that um, if it becomes available. <laughs> so. hey,
1: good luck to you. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Fantastic. So the next question uh, that comes up is what is the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read?
1: Uh, well, like, again, that's a difficult one. I think 2000 AD killed Johnny Alpha. Many many years ago, and that was I was just like, what the hell are they doing? Why the hell have they done that? I don't understand. And I, I, it was one of those moments in comic history where I turned the page, and I was just like, I couldn't even believe that I could see what I was seeing. And I think, I I think I was twenty something like that. So you know, I didn't drop down in in, in tears, but certainly a few pints of beer were had, and, and numerous swear words were. End to the heavens <laughs> For that given moment I think one of the most touching and sad things I've, I read though was Animal Man The 1980s version that PC, comic, PC Comics put out They had um, Well I actually loved the entire run but Grant Morrison's run I think he did the first 17 issues Something like that yeah. and Issue 5 uh, Essentially there is um, Roadrunner The equivalent and uh, the coyote character in it has just had enough and he's a depressive because he can never die. And he's trapped within the cartoon. And it's a parody of the real thing and how that must actually, that helplessness. And I remember reading that at the time and just thinking that was an incredible piece of writing and a very moving and touching comic. Um, and really anybody that sends comics should check out any of Grant's work and really is Excellent. Um, and I think recently, you know, Prop 10 2 she Chief Judge Hershey passed away. Long-standing character. That was, again, done by John Wagner and Colin McNeil and the rest of the team. and That was a touching story as well. You know, she's been in the comic for a very long time. So I think those three things off the top of my head, I dare say there's some more, but I can't think what off the top of my head. But, yeah, those are good examples of how comics can you know, touch people. Yeah, because it's, it's,
0: it's incredibly when you are reading a story, and the the story does turn, and you f- you actually feel that emotional wrench in your stomach, Definitely. Like, yeah, it sounds like that's what happened
1: to you with, with Johnny Alpha there. Yeah, it did. I mean, it, I mean, it was just, it was just out of nowhere, really. It was, <laughs> just, yeah. I just couldn't believe it. Apparently, Carlos Esquer, who co-created character, refused to draw it.
0: Oh um, right! Wow.
1: Yeah, so that's what I heard anyway. I'm, that must
0: I'm, have been I'm, an inter- interesting discussion.
1: <laughs> yeah, so Colin McNeil, going back to Colin McNeil, he drew the art on that. I think he drew it. And there was another guy called Simon Harrison whose art has always provided opinion. But I'm going to go with, I like Simon Harrison. He's not Carlos Square. He's a very different style. But I love his stuff. And it was the pair of them doing that series arc. And I think it was uh, Colin McNeil that drew that final issue. But yeah, I was just, what, what? what? How, what, how? did they do that? Why did they do that? And then, of course, a few years ago, they brought him back, so um, you know it's all right now. But <laughs>
0: still, um, doesn't uh, doesn't negate the the time that passed in between, I guess.
1: No, no, I don't think so. To be honest with you, I think I think that was just a they don't John Wagner doesn't normally do that. He doesn't resurrect things normally. So I think the fact he did sort of implies that maybe that an error was made at the time. But right. um, I've never spoken to John about it so uh, I can't comment on his behalf. Yeah, who knows? But that was certainly a bit of a shock, must (laughs) admit.
0: Definitely, having to get that on your desk. Excellent. Um, Now, uh, speaking of unexpected things um, and surprises, uh, the next question that comes up is, uh, what is the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? Yeah,
1: that's scariest or horrifying. You see, horror comics... It's, it's, uh, I think it's a genre which is underrepresented to be honest with you there aren't that many ongoing or limited series horror comics being produced by the main companies I mean there's a few mm-hmm. um, but I mean obviously the most successful is The Walking Dead but The Walking Dead for me was never really a it wasn't really a horror comic um, simply because I think the setting of it was so vast I mean America such a large country Mm. And, and it, it lacked that sort of claustrophobic element a lot of the time So I think if you want real horror in comics You've got to look at stuff like 30 Days of Night, Steve Niles and Ben Temple Smith, And there's been the two films produced on that But the first two or three series of comics are absolutely outstanding And it really did tear up the rule book on mm-hmm. vampire comics um, I really, really thought that was something else. Absolutely excellent. I think, obviously, you've got to look at Mike Mignola and his love of horror through Hellboy and the BPRD staff and uh, Joe Gollum and all of his subsidiaries and little offshoots of that entire universe, which I, I buy and read religiously. I mean, Mignola's just an exceptional artist, I and mean, he's a pretty good writer, but he's an exceptional artist who has managed to weave a tapestry of giant gorillas, Nazis, ancient folklore from various cultures into a comic with a, you know, the son of the devil basically with a great big iron fist. I mean, it's superb. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, recent stuff, Infidel. Now that was something else that came out via Image Comics maybe a couple of years ago. Now it was a five-issue limited series. Um, and the guy doing the art was uh, Aaron Campbell, who's now doing the new Hellblazer with Sizer Spurrier. Right, His art is, is to die for. He's so good. Um, and that comic was truly spine-tingling. Um, and also, I think Witches by Scott Schneider and Jock, that's, that's very scary. That is a yeah. scary horror film. It's
0: that's, a, that's, that's legitimately horrifying.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is, that is, that is superb. Um, yeah. And I think that's where we are in terms of top of the range at the moment. And I think there's more... Um, witches stuff coming this year and I can't wait for that because I, I, it's just superb I think absolutely superb I think if you look at you know the main two Marvel and DC and they don't really I mean you've got the Joe Hill stuff now basket full of heads and all this stuff he's got his own sub label within DC comics um, I'm reading um, oh dearie mate what's it called Mike Carey, Peter Gross, the and it's like a doll the Dollhouse family. That's it. That's the six issue limited series. If you like a bit of Mike Carey, who I do, I think he's excellent, and uh, Peter Gross, that's worth a look. Um, but I've not touched base with a lot of those series yet, simply because um, of financial constraints on what you end up buying. But there's there's another one called Plunge coming out, which mm. has got Stuart Immonen on art, which does look very nice. I've ordered pre ordered, so that one's coming out in the next month or so issue one, so there's stuff out there you just got to have a little bit of a look for it, if you look at Avatar, you've got Crossed and all that sort of stuff Um but they don't seem to be producing much in a way of new comics at the moment, Avatar but some of the Crossed runs, the Garf stuff is quite good, the James Delano stuff is quite good, and that's a slightly different take on the zombie pandemic I guess as they're humans, they just go bonkers it's a bit more like George Romero's Crazies I guess, but that's some of that's quite good too sort of stuff out there for people to have a look at if they're into their horror, which hopefully they are.
0: Oh, no doubt. Um it's always good to dabble um in, in areas that you don't necessarily read so often. Um but uh yeah, uh The Walking Dead was, was one for me, but I think you're quite right um about that, that yeah, it's kind of it's almost like the backdrop is zombies but yeah, you don't get that sense of claustrophobia as you Sorry. as you can elsewhere. Um, and it's—I it, mean—it's—it's it's more uh, focused on obviously the the relationships and the kind of the human situations that you're in. <laughs> really. Definitely.
1: I mean, it—it it, was—I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a great comic. Yeah, um, totally. But it reminded me of EastEnders. Yeah, in a way. it is almost
0: it, EastEnders with zombies in a way. You, you
1: yeah, sort it's a soap of up, right? you know—there'd yeah. be a scene in the café, and in the background, a, a zombie having a cup of tea or a bacon butty. <laughs> it's, it was sort of like that at, at times it was almost like the zombies weren't even part of the setup they got it so sorted out that they weren't there anymore mm. and, and everything would be fine and i think you know there was the whole whisperer storyline yeah. which you know let's the only way we can stay alive is to kill somebody skin them dress up in their skin and then walk alongside the rest of the zombies. I think if somebody approached me with that as a concept, I'd be quite worried about their mental stability yeah. um, rather than go, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I, so I, I think at times it's sort of, whether or not that was a I'm going to shock people moment from from the, the team involved, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm not, I don't think that element worked particularly well. And I think for me, horror is about, if you're not controlling the environment, you've got to control the setting. And if you look at the best horror films as an exemplar, an awful lot of them are really, really small locations. So Evil Dead, you've got a cabin. right? Um, and the people can't get away from that space because the bridge goes down, that sort of stuff. Um, and I think that's where horror works better, if you can control the environment and control mm-hmm. the setting and, and make it difficult for people to escape. Horror becomes something a bit different if you expand the environment that they're in, so Alien worked because they were stuck on the ship. Aliens worked because they were stuck on the planet. Yeah. As soon as you get bigger than that, you end up with, you know, stuff like Alien Covenant uh, with an entire planet. (laughs) It it becomes a science fiction movie, really, with aliens in it. Yeah. So I think that's important for people to, to have a look at. And I think, most people, if they look at their top ten horror films or horror books or whatever, yeah. the setting is really, really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point that, yeah, horror works best in kind of trapped environments.
1: Yeah, or well, the person themselves is trapped. So yes, if somebody some has a broken leg or something, and yeah. Yeah. straight away exactly. you've got a, an ordinary situation that becomes far more dangerous and horrific because of the nature of their predicament. So you know there's, there's there's ways of playing with it but yeah i mean i think that's important and i think walking dead expanded the, the environment to such an extent that at times it lost the horror element and it became a, a bit like a soap opera yeah but a very successful so they played to everyone that did it it's not criticism it's just my opinion
0: absolutely cool uh, now uh, the next question that comes up is uh, what is your favorite
1: cover Oh, do you know what? I thought long and hard about this one. (laughs) Um, Favourite cut, there are so many people just uh, just doing great covers at the moment. It's it's bonkers. I mean, from Jock, Mike Mignola, Adam Hughes, Joshua Middleton at DC. You've got all sorts of people that primarily do cover art now, um, as opposed to interiors. Brian Bolland Mm. being another one. Um, And I think the cover is so important. You've got to get the right cover artist on board simply because that's going to, share, that's going to sell the comic going to an extent. That image on the front is the key. So I think in terms of a favourite, it's really difficult to, to pin down to it. But what did cross my mind, simply because I, I was looking at a few of them the other week, was the Titan reprints of a lot of the 2000 AD stuff in the 1980s. Right.
0: Um,
1: they had cover art by people like Kevin O'Neill, Mike Barne and Bill Sienkiewicz and the covers are just incredible still to some of those books they really are just they, they knock you away you just look at them and just think wow it's 1988 again 1989 again but the covers still just sell that book mm. and they are absolutely brilliant and I've tried to take that into the covers that I do for my own work I'm very fortunate to have a, a team of very very talented cover artists on board including Brian Brown and David Milgate um, and Steve Sampson and Dom Reardon and Pui Trong and various other people you know a lot of those guys have produced images that are very very striking for Edge of Extinction and my other books and they really do you know the, the covers you put on the shelf and they just look amazing and it, it makes it much easier for me to sell the book I have to say yeah. so the, the cover artist is such a good such a good I mean an important part of the team it really is and, and you look at a book sometimes and you look at the cover art and you're thinking yeah okay it's not bad but um is it quite doing the job and so favorite cover I couldn't put it down to one but it'd probably be a might but mild slain one right from the 1980s from one of the titan books I guess although saying that there's a really good one of the judge dread one from the cursed earth where he stood up against the head of a fallen Tyrannosaurus Rex that he's obviously just taken down and he got a pack of Rexes coming towards him. That's an absolute classic as well. I think that's book two. Of, so one of those two probably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. That sounds epic. Um, no, yeah, uh, cover, covers are so interesting. Um, and it what really interests me is the way that, you know, cover artists will go with if it's a scene from within the book or if it's it's something that just kind of captures the story Mm. itself that's always an interesting take as to you know which way they go with that um what's your experience like with that kind of for for your books for instance
1: um do you know what i'm i'm really fortunate i just generally sort of go right we need some covers um, Dave Milgate adopted a policy of emergency services becoming zombies. Right. So for issue one of edge of extinction, he did a traffic cop with a massive hole in the middle of him. Uh, for issue two, he did, um, a fireman. He's still got an axe in his hand, but he's been zombified. <laughs> and and that was going to continue into that issue three, where he had an air ambulance crew eating somebody off a stretcher. Wow. Um, But he decided to scrap that one and go with something else and he broke that cycle. With the other guys, with Steve Sampson, it's primarily very strong images. Ryan Brown, um, I mean, he's working for Marvel and DC at the moment, but I've been really lucky to have him do covers for us as well. And again, this is about strong imagery, normally focusing on a zombie with Ryan. Um, And what we haven't done is have too many, we we haven't actually had a cover yet of the interior cast. Um, But... Not because I haven't necessarily said I didn't want it. It's just I've allowed the artist to come up with an image that they themselves have Mm -hmm. created, which they think is indicative of what would be happening. So I try and give them as much control as possible, really, because at the end of the day, they're the artist. You know, I just give them a very subtle brief and just say, "Show me what you've got." Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been really lucky because it's working.
0: that's awesome fantastic uh, now uh, the next uh, question that, that comes in your uh, in your Silex bunker is uh, what is the uh, most meaningful comic to you
1: oh most meaningful comic oh dear well I think I'd have to say what's me what made most meaningful there's a lot I mean I've got quite a few comics I collect comics as well say. Obviously, the first issue of 2000 AD, I'm lucky enough to have two copies of that. Nice. Um, and that's, that sets the bar in terms of a British anthology comic for me. I mean, that's, that's big. Um, and then, I guess, from there, you've got other stuff that I guess have influenced me over the period of time. So I've got uh, quite a substantial hellblazer um, Collection. Um, a lot of them are signed by the artistic crew and, and the writers as well. The James Delano run in particular that means an awful lot to me. Um, because you know, James Delano wrote absolutely amazing horror comics, uh, and still does write amazing horror stuff as well. He's writing novels more than comics at the moment, but I mean, his work's just incredible. And he seems to have sort of disappeared a little bit from the public eye. be so good at what he does. So the Hellblazer stuff I've got, it means a lot. I've got a lot of stuff. I'm quite lucky in, a, in that respect. I've got quite a few bits and pieces signed by people as well, which obviously means quite a lot to me as well. So, um, And, you know, 70s, old 70s Marvel. I'm quite into that, a lot of the horror stuff there. So a lot of that stuff's influenced me quite a lot. And I've got bits and pieces of it. I haven't got a massive collection on that, but I've got bits and pieces Um, And I think they all mean quite a lot to me. But I think the one that means the most is probably um, I've got all of the original Jungle Action Black Panther comics. Um, And my wife got me a load of those for my birthday and Christmas. So she was doing the whole hunting them down and finding, and they mean a lot to me because she's not really into comics. Um, So uh, the fact that she actually made that effort for me is much appreciated still. Um, And they're cracking comics. I mean, John McGregor, Rich Butler, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Working on those, I mean, it really is just a superb read and I absolutely love that series. Um, Absolutely worship it. I reread it every year. It's just brilliant. So there's quite a few examples for you there. I mean, I could go on.
0: (laughs) For (laughs) sure. But those are some great examples and it's great when when somebody you love kind of doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, they're not necessarily into what, you love as a, as a hobby and things but they they go out their way to to kind of you know um yeah to do something for that um yeah it's amazing
1: yeah it was yeah i was really really pleased um brought a massive smile to my face uh so i think out of the last 12 issues she probably picked up for me so that was that was much appreciated by myself when i stood there
0: oh that's nice uh, now, uh, the next question uh, that comes up is, uh, what is the most underrated comic that you've read?
1: Cool. On my current pull list, I would say Lazarus. Right. Which is now Lazarus Risen. It's an image title. It's written by Greg Rucker, who I think is an exceptional writer. You know, it's by Michael Lark. It's a dystopian future whereby the world is divided up into territories uh, which are owned by different families. And these families are essentially massive businesses. Um, and each one of them has got a Lazarus. And the Lazarus is almost like a um, super-powered assassin, stray warrior. And they've got their own borders. And essentially, it's a, it looks at the world in a very different viewpoint. Um, And it doesn't seem to get the press that a lot of the other image titles necessarily do, Mm. which for the life of me, I just don't understand because it's just so, so good. Um, Greg Rucker creates a lot of back matter to it. He's created the world himself. He's created the history of the world himself. Um, There's an online website with, you know, Articles and essays like that you can follow if you really immerse yourself into the world. And basically, people, ordinary people, can go once a year to the family. They have something called the lift, and if they've got the right skill set, they can end up working for the family. So it's not just the members of the family that it focuses on; it focuses on the ordinary people at the bottom and how they live. And unless you're working for the family, essentially you're on you're on the breadline. You're working, living in a quite a post-dystopian hard environment um, and I just think it's a superb book I mean Lazarus Risen is a it's $7.99 but it's, it only comes out quarterly so there's only four issues a year um, and the quality of the book is just absolutely outstanding so I would recommend that to anybody pick up the trades uh, for the first few issues and then crack on and read it because it's just incredible um, yeah, the,
0: the artwork is cracking.
1: Really. Michael it's, it's, Yeah, it's Michael He's just, oh, dear me. I mean, that bloke, he could, he could doodle something on a petrol receipt and not buy it. It's so good.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he really is incredible. And that's probably one of the reasons why they've gone to record his schedule so you can get that high quality in there. Yeah. Um, I really like it. I think that's a superb book.
0: Nice. Fantastic. Uh, now we come on to our most difficult question and that is for you. What is the best comic of all time?
1: Yeah, this one is tough. Um, obviously my influences stem from sort of 70s British comics. <clears throat> so I'd have to put 2008 in there at some point. But as an individual comic, you've got to be looking at something which is probably a bit more concise. So you'd be looking at your Watchmen's, your V for Vendettas, um, stuff like that, I think. And there's a lot of underrated stuff out there, especially if you go back to the 70s and 80s, you've got Camelot 3000, you've got Outcasts with Tom Veitch and Cam Kennedy on the art, which is bonkers. um, Really, really good. You've also got the right darkness War. But I think for me, I'd probably go V for Vendetta over Watchmen slightly, simply because it's... A really timely reminder of, you know, how the world can be, and you know, if you look at the UK post Brexit, yeah, there are some quite marked similarities between <laughs> what could be happening what it, and what and what did happen in B for Vendetta. So I don't think you're a massive step away from some of the things that Alamore and David Lloyd are looking at. Definitely, it's dangerous It's timeless. The art's beautiful. The script's beautiful. It's it's dark, which for me is always good. Yeah. <laughs> so I, feel, I think the, I mean, Watchmen would be, you know, hot on his heels, obviously. Um, but I think they're they're, they're both up there. I mean, it, it takes something to knock those books off the top. I mean, if you're looking for something a little bit different, obviously Sandman, right, which is a wonderful book mm. uh, with Neil Gaiman on on. Writing duties. I mean, that's a great book. I remember reading that one. That was coming out, and just getting blown away by that as well. So, there's so many different titles that you could choose from. Um, Animal Swamp Thing, James O'Hara's run on Hellblazer. Then you've got Mouse. You've got maybe even some of the you know Dark Knight Return stuff. Frank Miller, loads of stuff. And you could just go on and on and on. It would be ridiculous.
0: <laughs> it is. It's so difficult. Um, but uh, I, I like the the V for Vendetta um, answer definitely, um, and uh, maybe Alan Moore is magic.
1: I think an element of Alan Moore, yeah. I mean, I, I've met him two or three times, and there is, yeah, you're, you're you're in the presence of somebody that is slightly different to definitely most of us. Yeah, he, he's um, his output is just superb, even from his own his old 2000 AD stuff when he was just starting off. Right. you know even his original scripts you read his tarks future shocks and his early work 2000 a.d and it's it's so good you know even back then back in sort of 1982 1983 it's so so good so wow. never mind his you know his miracle man stuff for warrior which i completely forgot to mention but that's brilliant as well so um yeah he's 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 something else and he's uh you know if he has fully retired from comics and he's you know, that will be comics lost, but mean, um, he's already done one movie, so one movie film script, so hopefully there'll be some more. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, definitely.
0: Cool. Uh, now, uh, come on to the last question in regards to comics, and that is, if you could only take one comic into the zombie apocalypse,
1: which would it be? Yeah, this one was based on a practical... There was a part of the answer based on a practical element. I'm going to need Tinder for Firewood. Yeah. So something absolutely appalling from the 90s and there was an awful lot of it um but in maybe like a really thick graphic novel format so that i had enough of that for uh firewood and and, uh, of course toilet paper if necessary um Mm -hmm. (laughs) if i had to um choose one to save as it were i don't think i'd choose one to save i think i'd liberate some comics um because obviously within the carnage of a zombie apocalypse comic shops aren't going to be high on the list of most people so i think I'd, I'd, I'd probably get my hands on a I don't know, giant size X-Men number one as I don't own that. That would be nice. First appearance of Wolverine and Nightcrawler, et cetera. It's a bit out of my price league at the moment. So that would be nice. Uh, I, might, yeah, I might liberate it. Is, is, like is it is a bit that.
0: pricey. For <laughs> anyone
1: really doesn't know, time, it's <laughs> about a grand. <laughs> yeah. The last time I looked, I looked at it and went, yeah, I don't think the wife will fly with that. So um, so maybe i would liberate that and keep that safe. Um Obviously, what I'd have to do is keep my own collection completely safe and locked away somewhere so that even within a zombie apocalypse, nothing would be getting to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have a bunker or something. So I'm not too sure, to be honest. Something, um, if I had to save one of mine, God, what would I save? I don't know.
0: Yes, that's a good question.
1: Oh, my Lord. Whew, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've got a V for Vendetta graph novel signed and sketched by David Lloyd and Alan Moore. So maybe that. Nice. Possibly. But then I'd be worried about it all the time. I don't, right? What's the problem, in it? I know it is. You're living rough. You never know what's going to happen next. Having a comic in your bag. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, maybe maybe the firewood. Maybe I stash all my stuff and just take some firewood, filter the stuff with yeah. me. I don't know. That one's a tough one.
0: It is, it is. Um, and, and with all of that in mind, uh, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse with you? Well,
1: I've, I have. One of the things I learned from my granddad was always be prepared. And my granddad was in the SAS during World War II, and whenever he went anywhere, he never unpacked his bag. So he unpacked what he needed, and he puts it back, even if he was staying there for two or three days. Wow. And I asked him why when I was a kid. And he said, well, because you never know when the enemy's going to turn up where you camp. And you've got to grab your bag and you've got to run. And if you're packing it, it ain't going to happen. Wow. So I've got a rucksack, which is pretty packed with stuff, which I know makes me sound a bit odd. But it's got a load of painkillers in there. It's got a pad. It's got a pen. It's got a compass. It's got a waterproof. It's got a bottle of water. It's got this and that. So it's, it's my pre packed job. So if everything really, really did hit the fan really, really quickly, I'd be able to grab a rucksack, which would be partially packed already. So it would be that rucksack. Nice. If I had the time to get to the shed, I'd be getting my 16-pound sledgehammer out for protection. That's awesome. That would be my other item. But, yeah, definitely the bag. And that's for my granddad, blessing.
0: Oh, That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Well, we can certainly uh, provide all of that uh, for your adventures into the zombie apocalypse. And uh, Baden Maloney, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Cheers.
0: Absolute pleasure. And uh, just one more time, where can people find you on the internet?
1: I can be found on Facebook, Baden James Maloney. There is an Edge of Extinction group, a rejected page. Uh, an eighth continent publishing page which is me i've also done some work for berserker comics who have got facebook pages as well and i'm on twitter as mel maloney fantastic
0: and then do you, do you have any cons coming out
1: this year at the moment i am completely free at the moment i haven't booked anything yet so any conventions out there that want me to come and visit them come and find me
0: get in touch absolutely it's definitely Fantastic. Well, Baden, thanks again for your time today, Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully our paths will cross at a con soon.
1: that would be great. Cheers, Sam.
0: Excellent. Take care.
1: You too. Thanks very much, mate. Bye. Bye
0: Bye-bye. Thanks again to Baden for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Baden's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene Magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and lots of other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.